heaven, we uh, just pause here on this first Sunday for our class of this new year to acknowledge that this year and every year is your year. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless each person here. You would bless our class. You would bless our church. You would bless our, our marriages, our families, our relationships, our jobs. Every, every aspect of our lives, Lord, I pray that we would uh, just truly surrender them to you. And Lord, as we begin this study on the book of Job, a book that uh, is, draws our interest and yet it's mysterious, it's hard to understand, and, and sometimes what we really clearly see in it, we don't like. So I pray you would prepare our hearts. And there are those who are glad to see 2013 leave. There are those who are hoping for a better 2014. Regardless, we don't know what the future holds, but we know that you do hold the future. So I pray that uh, our hearts and minds would be prepared for what you have for us, and that particularly this study of Job would lay a foundation for our lives uh, because suffering is going to come. And Lord, we need to be prepared for it. And you have been gracious to prepare us through this book. So we ask for your spirit to move. We ask for our hearts to be yielded and tender and surrendered. And we ask, Lord, those that are struggling, that they would find their hope and their life and their love in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, are you ready for a challenge? I hope you are, because we're going to look at the book of Job. And the book of Job is a challenging, challenging book. Um, for the last two years, I've prayed about doing a study of Job, but I've held off because it's such a challenging book. But when uh, particularly my wife and I entered into a, a season of suffering here at the end of last year, as well as really kind of our church really entered into a time where a lot of our people have suffered. And uh, I thought, okay, uh, as, as I enter into this with fear and trepidation, I think the timing is right. And so, Lord, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to do this. And um, I need this book and maybe you need it too. And if, if you don't feel like you need it now... Let me assure you, you will in the future, and perhaps you will need it sooner than you think. In fact, you'll always need it sooner than you think, because that's the way suffering is. It's kind of shock and awe. It never comes when we expect it. And even though we know in our minds, okay, I know I'm going to suffer, I know suffering is unavoidable, we still don't expect it when it comes. And so I would really appreciate your prayers, personally for me, I mean, this is a hard, hard, challenging book to study. It is a hard book. It's going to be a hard book for you to learn from and to go through. And so we need to pray for one another, and we need to pray that God would prepare our hearts for what He has. It's kind of like a, a pastor friend of Chuck Swindoll warned him once that when he was, he had, Swindoll had told his friend, hey, I'm starting to uh, to preach through Job, and the guy said, hey, be careful. You never know what happens when you get into stories like Job's. Often you become a participant in the story that you are teaching, and that is so true. I think, you know, sometimes we look at a book like that, and we're like, you know what, I don't want to study that, or I don't want to commit to that, because if I commit to it, it may happen to me. All right, are you with me? And, and the reality is, it's going to happen. And yes, we do 
uh, participate in Job's story. Let me give you just three short reasons. There's, there's far more, believe me. But let me give you three reasons why this is going to be challenging. First of all, it's very long and a wordy story. It's a very long and wordy story. The first challenge in doing an exposition of Job is just the length of the book. It's 42 42 chapters. And here's the crazy thing. Out of those 42 chapters, basically 40 of them are all poetical. Uh, so, like, let me ask you, when's the last time you read a poem? Okay, how many of you, like, read poems on a regular basis, you know, and, and then and then are proud of it, you know, or would be willing, you know, and some of you do, and that's great, because if you do, you're going to love the book of Job, okay? It's not going to be as intimidating to you, but if poetry is not your thing, and it's not particularly mine, then you read through this, and you're just like, you know, get me into the epistles of Paul again, you know, get me into Genesis where there's weird things, but at least it's told in a story and I can better understand it. So uh, now here's the kind of the scary part of it. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, he took a little less than 52 weeks, nearly a year to work his way through this book. He said that when he uh, announced the final chapter, the church applauded. Okay, I could relate to that because I think sometimes you're, you, you all are that way. Uh, now, think about this. This is kind of like trying to get you to get ready for this. John Calvin preached 159 consecutive sermons on Job. And they were good. They went into five editions when they were published. Uh, but don't, don't freak out on that. Um, I know you might be since we did 17 weeks on Jude and it only had 27 uh, verses. But uh, don't worry, I'm not going to try to, to uh, match Swindoll or Calvin. I'm aiming for uh, 13 to 15 weeks on a very mysterious book, but a very meaningful one. So that's a challenge. It's long and it's very wordy. In fact, those poetical sections, there's really no action in this book. All the action takes place in chapters 1 and 2. And once that happens, Job sits in a garbage dump and they talk for 40 chapters. I mean, there's no movement. There's, it's just talk, you know. And so it, it, this is a challenge. Number two, it's very familiar but an often misunderstood story. One of the challenges in teaching Job is you all are familiar with. I think everybody has heard, even unsafe people have heard, of the suffering and the patience of Job. Would you agree? I mean, you, you can find it in second. I mean, people know about Job. They may think it's pronounced Job, but they know about Job. And, uh, it, but that's a part of the challenge. And the challenge is this. We think we know what it's about. But in reality, though very many people are familiar with the story, many people misunderstand what it's really about. In fact, one of the weird things about Job is, when do you tend to want to read Job? When you're suffering, when you're suffering, you go to Job. And when you're suffering, you want answers. And so you go to Job because it's about suffering. And so you go to Job for answers. The only problem is what you find when you read Job is questions. You find questions. So they turn to Job for answers when, when, when we're suffering only to find more questions than answers. One Bible teacher put it this way. The story of Job is one of the best known in the entire Bible, and yet, strangely enough, one of the least understood. No book in Scripture is so shrouded in mystery as this ancient story. As Winston Churchill once described the Soviet Union, Job is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside of an enigma. And that's really true. And that's the third challenge about Job. It's a very mysterious yet meaningful story. Um, 
There are many questions about the book of Job that God has chosen not to answer. Now, here's the deal. The, the book is mysterious, but it's meaningful. It's profound, and yet it's practical. Suffering draws us to it, but when we find ourselves in it, we push back away from it. So this, it's really weird. It's like you're drawn to the book of Job, and yet you're repulsed by it once you really start figuring out what it's about. But that's kind of how suffering is, especially the suffering of others. Aren't we intrigued by the suffering of others? We're kind of drawn to stories of people who are suffering. And yet when you get into their stories, or if you've ever went and visited someone who was suffering, sometimes... You're pushed, you're repulsed by it, aren't you? Aren't you? Now, I know you guys with the gift of mercy aren't, but the rest of us, indeed, we are. In fact, it's kind of like the picture I, I, I chose for our series. It's there in your notes. You got it in the email blast announcing it. It's kind of like that picture. I love that picture. I chose that picture because I'm drawn to that picture, and yet I am repulsed by it. Isn't that true? You see... That picture is real enough that I can relate to it. But the reality is, it's a little too real. And I want to look away from it. And that's the way the book of Job is. We come to Job looking for answers to our questions about suffering, but what we find is God Himself, and often that's not who we really want in the midst of our suffering. Did you catch that? We come looking for answers to the book of Job, but we find is God, and often that's not who we are really looking for in our suffering. Like Job, in the midst of our suffering, what do we do? We look up to heaven and we ask what? Why? Why? And we demand answers and we want explanations. But like Job, we will find that God wants to give us more than answers in our suffering. He wants to give us himself. You see, in the midst of our suffering, if you're like me, we look for a change of circumstances, but God wants us to have a change of character. He And, and here's the radical part about this book and about God, is that we look for a change of circumstance. He wants a change of character, and He is willing to let us go through hell on earth to see that accomplished. And I'm not sure I like that. And I just bet you don't either. But that's the book of Job. A riddle wrapped in a mystery inside of an enigma. Well, for the time that we have left, here's what I want us to do. I want to look at the unsolved mysteries, the unanswered questions, and the undeserved suffering that make up the background of the book of Job. And here's the unsolved mysteries. Let's begin with them. Because, see, this is the first lesson in a series covering a book. And usually when I teach through a book like this, what I want to do with this lesson is I want to give you the background and answer all the questions of who, what, when, where, why, all those questions that give you the where the book is coming from, who the author is, when it was written, and give you that background. The only problem with Job is it's all shrouded in mystery. It is unsolved mysteries. So let's look at what we don't know about the background of Job. First of all, when did the story actually take place? Now, this is the one mystery that we have more evidence and we can come up with an educated guess. From here on out, 
we really don't know how to answer these questions, but this is one that we can. When did the story actually take place? The story never tells us specific time. You know, a lot of Old Testament books begin in the time of king so-and-so or at that time when the, you know, the geese fly south. I mean, you know, you, you can figure out the time. There is no time. In fact, the first words in the book of Job in the Hebrew Bible is a man. And that's it. Okay, but there's pieces of evidence, and here's what, what I would like to present to you. The story of Job probably took place during the time of the patriarchs, particularly Abraham. So think about Abraham, Father Abraham. It was around the time of Abraham. And there's seven pieces of evidence for that. I don't really care to teach through that per se. Uh, the, the first one we can look at, the longevity of Job, how long he lived. If you go to the back of the book in Job 42, 16, it says that he lived for 140 years. Now, what we don't know is whether that means his total life was 140 years or whether he lived 140 years after his suffering. Does that make sense? And one of the reasons I think it's after, and it's just it, the, 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 the language is unclear, is because in the, at the end of the story, and give me, I'll give you, you know, give him the way the end of the story. Job is blessed doubly by God. Well, 140 is 70 times two. And I think what God did was doubled his, you know, his lifespan after. And more than likely, Job was 60 to 70 years old when this occurred. And so very likely he lived, uh, 210. Does that make sense? Are you, are you with me? Okay, so if he was 70 when started and God gave him 140 years, that's 210. If, if the 140 is told, it doesn't matter. The point is, he lived, that's how long like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Back then, guys lived that long. So it makes us think that he lived around the time of Abraham. Secondly, the prosperity of Job is married in uh, is measured in livestock. When, uh, in chapter one, as we're going to see in two weeks from now, uh, they describe the, the uh, wealth of Job, it's measured the same way Moses measured the wealth of Abraham and Jacob. This many sheep, this many goat, this many cattle. You know, back then, that's what made you rich if you were a patriarch. Third is the hostility of Job's enemies. We're going to meet the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans. And the way they behave in the book of Job is very consistent with the time that these people lived uh, during the time of Abraham. Uh, a fourth piece of evidence, the responsibility of Job as the family priest. Job functioned as the priest of his family, just like Abraham did, Isaac and Jacob. Why were they the family priests? Because they lived before, nation, before Israel became a formal nation, before the priesthood was instituted, before the tabernacle was built, and there were priests to function. What did a godly man do? He functioned as a priest for his family. We see Job doing that like Abraham. The terminology in the book fits the time period. Uh, the Number six, the scarcity of references to Israel's covenants, laws, and priesthood makes us think it, hap it was these events occurred before that time. But here's what I want you to see, number seven. The historicity of Job should not be questioned. Though we may not know when the story actually took place, it 
more than likely it took place during the time of the, the patriarchs. Here's what we know from the Bible. We know Job was real. And you want to, you want to write that down. Job was re, a real historical person and his story really is history. Alright? So, he is, the story is a historical fact. In fact, if you want to read the background, you know, what was the times like when Job lived? Well, you can read on your own this week, Genesis 11, uh, and you kind of get a background of it. But here's what I want you to see about the historicity of this book and of this individual. The book opens in a way that's very similar to other stories about real historical people. Look at Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. There's nothing in Job 1.1 to make us think that he was not a historical person. But here's the kicker, okay? Here's the kicker. Two times, once in the old or twice in the Old and once in the New, Job is mentioned, and he's mentioned with other historical people. And so that leads us to say he's historical. Uh, turn your Bibles to Ezekiel 14. In Ezekiel 14, in verse 14 and verse 20. So look at the prophet Ezekiel in your Old Testament. Ezekiel 14. And look at verse 14, and here's what we see. Even though... These three men, and then it lists, Noah, and then who? Daniel and Job were in its midst. By their own righteousness, they could only deliver themselves, declare the Lord God. Drop down to verse 20. He says it again, almost word for word. Even though, say the names with me, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in its midst, as I live, declares the Lord God. They could not deliver either their son or their daughter. They would only deliver themselves by their righteousness. He lists three righteous men, and there's no indication that, hey, Noah's real, Daniel's real, but by the way, Job was this made-up guy to teach us about suffering. No, they're just as real. And I would say to you, if we're going to start thinking Job's not real, then you start thinking Noah's not real, then you start thinking Daniel's not real, and pretty soon the Bible's just a lot of made-up stories. Now go to James chapter 5, 10, 11. James chapter 5, Job is mentioned in the book of James. James 5, 10, and 11. He's mentioned in verse 11, but I want you to see verse 10. James 5, 10, and 11. Notice what it says. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Who's he talking about? Well, Daniel was a prophet. What, who else? Some other, name some other prophets. What book are... Jeremiah. What book are we in? Ezekiel. So you got Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and, and on and on it goes. Were they all real people? Yeah, and he says, look at them as, a, 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 uh, as an example of suffering and patience who spoke in the name of the Lord. Verse 11, we count those blessed who endure. You have heard of the endurance of who? Job. And have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Is the Lord real? Are the prophets real? Why would we think Job's not real? So, here's the idea. 
real person, lived at the time of the patriarchs. Now, that's about the best that we can get when it comes to knowing when, uh, when did the story take place. But let's look at the next um, unsolved, uh, unsolved mystery. Who wrote the book of Job and when? Now, this we really don't know. Who wrote the book of Job when? We know when the story took place, but that doesn't have to be the same time as when the story was written. Does that make sense? Okay, it can take place here, but then it was written later then. Now, when it was written depends on who wrote it, right? Make sense? When it was written depends on who wrote it. So I gave you a chart there of all the options. So you can see on the chart there, when did Job live? Sometime around the after the Tower of Babel and before the call of Abraham, right? But when it was written depends on who wrote it. Some people think Job wrote it. Likely candidate, but just because the book is about you doesn't mean you wrote it. Just like the book of Ruth. What, who's the book of Ruth about? Ruth. Who wrote the book of Ruth? We don't know. And more than likely, it wasn't Ruth. So just because this is the book of Job and it's about Job doesn't mean Job necessarily wrote it, though he could have. Maybe it was one of his three friends who were eyewitnesses. Maybe it was the mysterious dude called Elihu who shows up at the end of the book. If so, then it was written by eyewitnesses right after it occurred. The Jewish people, according to Jewish tradition, it was Moses that wrote the book. If that's the case, it happened at the time of Abraham, but it was written when Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He'd be a good candidate because he God had revealed to him all the other patriarchal uh, history. He could have revealed to him, uh, and he could have received down through oral tradition the story of Job. Other people think it's Solomon. Why? Because this is a wisdom book. We're going to look at that in a few moments. It's a wisdom book, and it's very similar to Proverbs, Psalms, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Solomon had a lot to do with that. Perhaps he wrote the book of Job. Others think Ezra. Okay, here's the point. We don't know. We don't know. Personally, I lean towards Job because that's just as likely. It seems like an eyewitness account. Uh, even though it's written in poetical form, it just, I mean, to know all that these guys said and, and, and the events, I think it's Job or one of his four counselors. If so, and here's what I want you to catch, if so, then Job is the oldest book in our Bible. It's the old it's written before even Genesis through Moses wrote Genesis through Deuteronomy. So, if so, Job is the oldest book in the Bible and it's about the oldest problem of humanity. And what's that? Suffering. Interesting. All right. Another unsolved mystery. Where did the story take place and where did his friends come from? Well, turn to Job chapter 1, verse 1. Where did the story take place? Well, here's what you get. There was a man in the land of, not, not Oz, but Uz, okay? And that's not in Kansas, by the way. Whose name was Job. And then you go down, drop down to verse 3. As, the, as Job is being described, his description ends with this in verse 3. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the east. The only problem is, east of what? We don't know. 
Now, since this is found in the Hebrew Bible, and this was written to the people of God of Israel, as well as to us as, as Christians, east of where? East of Israel, east of the Jordan River. So if you think about it this way, you got the uh, Mediterranean Sea, you've got Israel here, okay? And you got Sea of Galilee, Dead Sea, you got the Jordan River, this is the east. Okay, that's a lot of help. Okay, in the land of us, which is like a, it's like us is like a region. That's not a city. So we don't know what city Job lived in. And then go over to chapter 2 and look at verse 11. Here's where we're introduced to his three uh, miserable comforters, so-called friends. Verse 11. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, they came each one from his own place. The only problem is we don't know what those places are. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, the Namathite. And they made an appointment together to come and sympathize with him and comfort him. Now, generally, they're from the east too. So, somewhere in the east, they came to somewhere in the east, to visit Job. We just don't know. We just don't know. It's an unsolved mystery. Here's the here's what God want, has here's an example. Now see, I'd like to know where all this took place, right? And certainly scholars do cuz they spill a lot of ink guessing. But here's what God tells us where Job took place. And this is my point. What we come here to find is not what we want to discover. Or, or what we discover is not what we really want to find. You know, where all the, you know where the bulk of Job takes place? On a garbage dump. Surrounded by burning dung. That's where it's going. Most of the story takes place in an unnamed garbage dump outside of an unknown city. Look at Job chapter 2 verse 8. And as you look at it, let me read it to you in the message. His skin itched and oozed so badly that he took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself, then went and sat on a trash heap among the ashes. For now, 40 chapters, you and I should be imagining smelling the stench of a garbage dump. That's the, you know, so if you really want to read Job and put yourself in where it happened, then kind of go to the city dump. Or get you, you know, it's like that Febreze commercial. Don't use Febreze, Febreze. Dump trash all around you and then just smell. I don't know about you, but if we miss the trash pickup, it's a bad deal in our garage. And it starts seeping into the house, right? You ever been there? Okay, we'll just let it do that. And then read Job in that context. So, here's the deal. And, and you say, what's the big deal about that? Why talk about that? Well, because life stinks when you suffer. Gotcha? Got, got it? Life stinks when you suffer. So regardless of who or when God chose one of his servants to write the story, it took place outside of Israel, in the east, on a garbage dump during the time of Abraham. Another unsolved mystery. What kind of story is Job? What kind of story or literature is it? And this is an important distinctive of Job, and, and it's why the book is hard to understand. It's hard to understand because it's a masterpiece of literature. Think of every possible type of literature and cram it into one story, and you've got Job. 
Okay, but here's one thing we do know. Number one, Job is the first of five wisdom books in the Bible. It's the first of five wisdom books. I have them listed there. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And so let's answer four questions about wisdom books, because this gives us our background about this book. Uh, first of all, what do wisdom book teach? What do wisdom books like Job teach us? Number one, here it is. Wisdom books reveal the heart of a life surrendered to God. Wisdom books reveal the heart. And you might want to write out there passion, priority, purpose. A heart of a life surrendered to the Lord. And in the book of Job, even during unfathomable and undeserved suffering. This is, what, this is the beauty of Job. Listen to me. Listen to me. We can live a surrendered life with passion for God even in the midst of suffering. That's what wisdom books tell us. You see, these wisdom books are like the body scan at the airport. They're like a CT scan at the hospital. They reveal what's on the inside. You see, Job is a messy and mysterious book because we get to see what's on the inside of a surrendered man's heart in the midst of unfathomable suffering, and what we're going to see is not always pretty. And that's kind of good news, because what I see inside my heart is not always pretty in the midst of suffering. See, some people aren't, some of, some of us aren't going to like this book, because we hear Job saying and doing things in suffering that we would think is ungodly or wrong or inappropriate. And yet God's letting us see this is what's inside hearts who are really suffering. Secondly, what is wisdom? Okay, if it's a wisdom book, what is wisdom according to the wisdom books? It's not about how smart you are intellectually. Wisdom is the skill of seeing and living life from God's perspective. Even during unfathomable and undeserved suffering like Job's. You know, that's good news. You know, we can go to Proverbs and say, Oh, life is living, seen and living life from God's perspective. Isn't this wonderful? But when we go to Job, we get to see life from God's perspective in the midst of suffering. We need that. Because what happens when you suffer? You lose what? Perspective. You lose all perspective. What do you zero in on? Yourself. Your suffering or the suffering of your loved one. And all of life begins to revolve around that. And then pretty soon you start getting bitter because everybody else doesn't revolve their life around your suffering or the suffering of your loved one. And you're like, well, if they really cared if the pastors really cared, if the church really cared, they'd be sitting here with me and, and thinking about this all the time, just like I do. And one of the lonely things about suffering is other people's lives go on. Okay? Job's on the garbage dump. The rest of the city is not. Right? This is one of the reasons we're going to see why Job's wife said, curse God and die, so that we can just get on. So, in suffering, we lose perspective. And Job was written so that we could get God's perspective on our suffering. That's a good thing. 
And then we could live in the midst of our suffering with God's perspective. A third question I want to answer for us about wisdom books. How can we learn to live life from God's perspective? Well, here's the answer. Skill in living life from God's perspective comes from fearing the Lord. There is one phrase that connects all five wisdom books, and here it is. Fear the Lord. Say it with me. Fear the Lord. Say it again. Fear the Lord. If you trace through the wisdom books, uh, you don't necessarily find it directly in Song of Solomon, but in all the other ones you do, and you find it at critical times, and you find it in the book of Job. So here's... Here's this. How can we learn to live life from God's perspective? Skill in living life from God's perspective comes from fearing the Lord even during unfathomable and undeserved suffering like Job's. Very interesting. We're going to see the number one description of Job in chapter 1 is that he is a man who fears God blamelessly. And yet, he suffered immensely. That's why we call it undeserved suffering. Why? Because Job did not suffer like so many of us do because we don't fear the Lord. He suffered exactly because he did fear the Lord. In fact, the degree of his suffering matched the degree of his fear of God. Now, some of you right now are thinking, well, if that's the case, I'm going to fear God medium. Okay? That's what some of you think. That's how we think. But that's not the answer. Okay? That's not the answer. What Job is telling us is, look, don't be surprised when you suffer at times when you don't deserve it because you're not as godly as Job and he suffered. And I bet you your suffering's not as great as his. Now, I know that when it's my suffering, it doesn't matter my suffering is great because it's mine. You got it? I understand that. But Job is written so that we can compare and realize, look, my suffering is not as great as his, and my godliness is not as great as his, so I shouldn't be surprised that I am suffering. This is already worth coming for, wasn't it? So here's this guy who fears the Lord. Then what's interesting is you go through like 40 chapters of human reasoning about suffering, and it's frustrating, and people are getting angry, and there's no answers, and there's no hope, and it's discouraging, and Job is getting angrier, the friends are getting angry, and no one knows anything. And then you come to Job 28, and it's a whole chapter about wisdom, and how man can't find wisdom, only God has wisdom. And let me read you the last verse of that chapter. And here's what it says. And God said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and turn away from evil is understanding. The same thing that is described about Job is what, you know, it's, just, it's interesting, we're going to have to study it, I can't explain it all right now. So what is the fear of the Lord? Begs the question, what is the fear of the Lord? Well, I did a study once of the five wisdom books, and I looked at the fear of the Lord. The five wisdom books tell us what the fear of the Lord is. It's not being scared of God. In Job, to fear the Lord is to know Him more than anything else, and to want to know Him more, and to be willing to go through anything to know Him more. 
In Psalms, to fear the Lord is to praise Him more than anything else. In Proverbs, it's to trust Him more than anything else. In Ecclesiastes, it's to obey Him more than anything else. And in the Song of Songs, it's to love Him more than anything else. That gives you a flavor of what fear of God is. And that's what Job wants to teach us. How to love, trust, obey, fear God, even in the midst of unfathomable, unexplainable, undeserved suffering. But you're probably asking me, wait a minute, I thought we didn't know what kind of story it is. Well, it's a wisdom book, but it's a unique, one-of-a-kind wisdom book. That's point number two. Job is a -a one-of-a-kind piece of literature that is beyond compare. Now, I've given you it's one-of-a-kind. I mean, nobody can categorize it. Like I said, it's like every type of literature crammed into one book. And you know why? This all relates to suffering. Because when, it, when you're really suffering, have you ever tried to put into words your suffering? It's impossible, isn't it? And yet God has, has, it's like God has taken human language and human literature to its ultimate degree to try to explain one of the toughest problems that you can ever encounter. Look at those three quotes. Tennyson, one of the greatest poets humanity has ever ever uh, produced. And here's what he says. Job is the greatest poem, whether ancient or modern literature. Victor Hugo, Les Miserables, the guy that knows something about storytelling. Tomorrow, if all literature was to be destroyed and it was left to me to retain one work only, I should save Job. Daniel Webster, guy that wrote the dictionary, Know something about the English language? The book of Job, taken as a mere work of literary genius, is one of the most wonderful productions of any age or of any language. We, this, this thing's, okay, this, this is a freaky, freaky book. Here's a freaky story. Here's what happens. Chapters 1 and 2, chapters 1 and 2 are, to, to, are prose, which simply means non-poetry narrative, story. Okay, we like that. Chapter 42, it is prose, it is story. So if you want to read this week to start getting into Job, read 1 and 2 and read 42. Now, in between, it's all poetry, and that's where we freak, right? All right, so it's an interesting book. It's got prose, it's got poetry. It's filled with laments, Curses, irony, sarcasm, proverbs, dialogue, monologues, debates, dramas. It's epic. It's got everything. It's got everything. Job is an epic story written in a dramatic, poetical style about a real historical events so that God's people can gain wisdom about their suffering. God knows what He's doing. And He knows that it's hard to put into words. So, I I think you're probably like, wow, this is a book I need to get into. The only problem is, it's filled with unanswered questions. Let's take a look at that. Unanswered questions about suffering. All right? There's tons of questions in Job. I mean, Satan asks questions in Job. 
Job asked questions of God and his friends. Job's wife asks a very critical question for which she has been much maligned ever since. Job's friends ask questions, but the person who, the most important person in Job who asks questions is God. Because in Job chapter 1, it is God's question to Satan that starts all of Job's suffering. It isn't Satan, it's Job. And as I've read through other guys, a lot of, a lot of guy, good Bible students miss, this isn't Satan's suggestion, this is God's suggestion. And here's what's interesting about this book. It begins with God asking a question of Satan, and it ends with God asking a ton of questions of Job. Interesting. It is God's question that starts the suffering. It's God's questions to Job that brings it to an end. Here's the mystery. There's more questions in Job than there are answers. Number one, why doesn't God clearly answer all the questions about suffering that the story seems to raise. That's probably the biggest question that you're going to find in Job. Once you, you, know, you come to it with questions, you find out that your questions aren't answered, and you want to say, why? Which is what we're always asking. Why doesn't God clearly answer? Well, here's some of the answer. Here's some of the questions. You, you, you may even come this morning thinking, I'm going to be a part of this series because I want these questions to be answered. Why do righteous people suffer is never directly answered in the book. Why do bad things happen to good people? Job never gets an answer. He doesn't ever. God never tells him why God allowed him to go through what he went through. Where is God when tragedy strikes in our lives and all hell breaks loose on earth? Why is God? so often silent and seems so distant during the suffering of His people. And if God is so great, all-powerful, and so good, all-loving, why does He allow such evil to occur? And why does God continue to allow Satan to ruin so many lies with his lies and demonic attacks? Now, listen, those are tough questions, would you agree? And those are the questions we ask in the midst of our suffering, or when someone we love is suffering, like when you lose your job for no reason, or like when you lose a child, or have a miscarriage, or discover that you're infertile, or like when a good friend takes his own life and leaves a widow and four kids, or like when you lose a spouse to cancer or some deadly disease, like when you're driven from your church as a pastor, after leading people to Christ and seeing God grow the church under your leadership, and you're asking why, and like when a son or daughter forsakes following Christ and turns their back on everything you tried to pass on to them, or like when a hurricane or a tsunami or a tornado literally rips your life apart and takes everything you own. Real stuff, isn't it, Nikki? Like when you return from church only to discover your home has been burnt to a ground with all your earthly possessions. That happened to a pastor, I know. Or like when professing Christians refuse to forgive and reconcile with you as a brother or sister in Christ. When we encounter situations like this, we ask questions like those. And we come to Job 
And here's what happens. We're like Job. The biggest question Job asks is never answered by God. And here's the question. Why? Why? Why does a blameless man of integrity like myself have to endure such undeserved suffering from God? That is Job's question throughout the book. And listen, Job isn't puffed up and self-righteous. God spends a lot of time in Job chapter 1 saying, this man is blameless, this man is godly, this man does not deserve what's about to come upon him. And Job wants to know why, and here's the, the wild thing. God never tells him. God never answers the question. Now, some of you are thinking, well then why are we studying it? Number two. Pay attention. The book of Job raises more questions about suffering than answers. But the answers it does provide are the ones God knows we really need and the ones we will be most satisfied with in the end. That is a huge statement. That is a huge statement. Now... You should come. You should persevere through this study because you're going to get what you need when you need it most. And you're going to find what is most satisfying. And listen, answers don't satisfy. Explanations don't satisfy. God satisfies. And that's what we're going to find. Now, it's undeserved suffering. Here's what I want to tie this all together. You say, well, why is this background so important? Because it fits the nature of suffering. Suffering is mysterious, and so is the book of Job. Next week, we're going to look at the big picture. We're going to look at the purpose. But let me give you this. Job in a nuts. Job, why? Friends, you sinned. Job, no, I didn't. God, look at the animals. Now, if you haven't read Job, you don't, you don't get that. But that's what God does. He says, look at the animals. That's the answer He gives. Look at the animals. Someone else said, a country preacher put it this way. Here's how he sums up Job. I can't eat by day, I can't sleep by night, and the woman I love don't treat me right. Okay, that's pretty much Job. Okay? It's mysterious because suffering's mysterious. This book is universal because suffering is universal. Okay? We don't know where Job lived because you know what? I'm Job. You're Job. We're all Job when we suffer. It's universal. It's timeless. And so is the story of Job. Undeserved suffering happens at all ages, in all places. Job is set so that we can identify it. Undeserved suffering is personal. And so is the Job. This is what I love about Job. Verse, first word, chapter 1, in Hebrew, a man. Listen, Job's about God, but he's a personal God, and suffering is personal. It ends with Job, and it ends with Job dying. It's human. It's real. And then finally, undeserved suffering is, is, is emotional, and so is the story of Job. And that's why it's in poetry. That's where Job is going to cry. He's going to curse. He's going to wail. He's going to weep. He's going to argue. He's going to shake his fist at God because that's what we do in suffering. Amen? Okay, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to get ready for this this week. So here's a couple things that you can do. Read Job 
one chapter of Job each week this week, Job 1 through 5. Or read Job 1 through 3 and then the last two chapters. Just, just get into the book of Job. But look at the questions I want you to look at. How has your own experience of suffering been unfathomable like an unsolved mystery with unanswered questions? I bet many of us can relate to that. But here's where I really want you to get into your heart. What questions are you asking about your suffering that are going unanswered? I'd write those out. Just write them out. Write them out. But then look at the next one. What answers do you think God wants to reveal to you through the book of Job? Prepare your heart. Because God has answers to questions you're not asking. And He wants you to bring the questions you do have to Him. Amen? This is going to be good. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be good. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that uh, You've given us an inspired book. We thank You that you're, You're sovereign over the writing of that book. That ultimately we know who the author is. It's You. And we know that it took place in a real time, with a real man, and he endured, he persevered, and we can too. But we need to know you like this man knew you. And we need to look at life the way Job learned to look at his suffering. And so, Father, I pray you would prepare our hearts this week. We'd put some time and effort into reading, some time and effort to thinking about our questions, some from suffering in the past, some from suffering that is fresh and right now, and some out of fear of the future. But we all have questions. So prepare our hearts. Because God, you're the God who's greater than unsolved mysteries. You're greater than unanswered questions, and you're greater than undeserved suffering. And we trust our lives and our suffering to you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen.